Welcome, everybody. Um, today, my guest is Tarek Kolosi. Correct me if I don't say it wrong. Um, Tarek was living a corporate life in New York, building a successful career in business development and operational leadership at top organizations. When he came back from his holiday working as a volunteer, something fell off and he set himself three goals to reach before the age of 40. Three big goals, three intentions. One to fuel his soul, one to challenge his body, and one to create a social enterprise to expand his mind as well as his heart. The decision to step out of his comfort zone and leave behind a secure salary, but also the rat race, and set off for an adventure that would forever change the course of his life and many others. Now at 41, Tarek has traveled to more than 100 countries, ran more than 25 marathons, and is a founder of the social enterprise Nomads Giving Back. Along the way, I had the fortune to join him for two of the marathons, at least as many party nights, and a secret mission to Everest Base Camp. I'm pretty sure you will enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Tarek. Thank you. <laughs> so happy to be here with you, brother. Good, good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, it was so nice to catch I think we started off already with a technical problem. <laughs> really? Yeah, you, you, you froze at a certain point. <laughs> so, so I was saying, hello, how are you? And then I completely missed. Oh, I'm sorry. If you want to start over, we can. But otherwise, uh, I was just saying it's so good to see you again, man. I, I missed you. And uh, I'm looking forward to having this discussion with you. Yeah, great, great, great. So where are you at the moment? Where are you? Are you I, I can imagine you had to settle a little bit with, a little bit with the current situation. Yeah, I'm here in beautiful Bali. Um, I ended up spending the last few years, about half my time here in Bali. And I happened to be here when the pandemic hit. I thought I would be back in my other home away from home, which is Colombia, Medellin, Colombia. Um, but when Corona hit, I ended up just staying put where I was. And here I am for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I guess there's worse place, but still, if you have to stay inside, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, Actually, uh, you know, knock on wood, Bali has been doing really well relatively to the world with Corona. So okay. um, a lot of life has been returned to normal. Um, of course, there's some social distancing and masks, but in general, because there's not much of a spread these days um i feel really blessed to be here right now because it's uh a lot of my close friends are in colombia a lot of my family and friends are in the, in the u.s new york um and hearing the the level of cases there it's a little bit it's a little bit different over there yeah. so i feel very lucky to be where i am right now and my heart goes out to the people who are struggling these days Okay. You mentioned uh, Medellin in Colombia and, and now Bali. It, I guess these are uh, considered as, as nomad hotspots a little bit, no? Because yeah. uh, yeah. last time you were telling me there are certain cities and places where uh, nomads meet or where yeah, there's a more like a gathering, <laughs> so to say, where they stay a little bit longer. What is the reason? Is there a historical reason or how, how does... How does it come that in certain places it's more popular to, to stick around? That's a great question. So this whole concept of, of a nomad or nomadism, it's, it's this idea of people that are, you know, found a way to be location independent with their work. And so they, they tend to uh, travel and live in different places for different durations. It, it can vary. But, you know, probably not quite, when I think of an expat, I think of someone who calls that foreign country a home for years. Um, you know, a traveler is maybe a lot, a lot more short term, but a nomad is like a few months, maybe six months, a year. Sometimes you go back to the same places you love. But um, I think that there's this idea around optimizing value. So a higher quality of life for a lower cost of living. 
And there are some places like Bali, where I am, Chiang Mai, Medellin, Colombia, Lisbon, um, the Canary Islands, uh, and there's there's many more that are all, all, that are amazing, amazing places, um, and they're very affordable for what the value that you get in exchange. So I think that's part of how it starts, and then there's this whole sense of community um, and connecting with people that are like-minded that maybe could become your partners, your customers, your friends, your, your dating scene. And like there's, once you realize that there's this movement happening and then you're like, Oh, I want to meet more people from that movement. And then there's organizations that created communities in these hotspots. So then now it's not as daunting for some people to land in a new place because very quickly from either a structured organization or as simple as a Facebook group, you can pretty quickly meet people that are connected to you somehow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It starts to make sense. Yeah. That was my next question, but you actually answered it. Most of it, like someone like me living in a village, <laughs> how would you explain these all nomads and uh, digital nomads, but uh, you did already quite well. So, so let's talk a little bit how uh, about these three goals and how did you became? Uh, I guess you you didn't dream of become of becoming a nomad when you were little. Um, you were dreaming about a business career. So, how how did this all happen to you? Well, it's funny how you said you said I wasn't born a nomad. Is that what you said? No, no, I, 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 I said. When you were little, you probably weren't dreaming in your bed, like, I want to become a nomad. I'm going to travel the world. So maybe an explorer. Um, well, I just thought it was funny because you're right. Yeah, I, I don't think I thought about being a nomad. I definitely love to travel. I love the idea of learning about the world and traveling when I was young. But I was just laughing because I thought you said born. And my my name, Tarek, I just found out not too long ago that it literally means nomad. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if I was born knowing I wanted to be a nomad, but apparently... <laughs> but it was destiny. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you're asking about the three big goals, right? And to give you a little background before that, in order to explain it, I yeah. come from more of a corporate background. The suit and tie clean shaven, short hair, um, none of this hippie stuff. And uh, I don't think you'd recognize me actually if it was, uh, if you saw me six years ago. But it's not about the internal, it's about the internal. And I, you know, in some ways I, I am who I am. I've, I'm always the same person. But I've, I've, I've evolved in my thought process and my thinking a lot. Um, and I ended up getting a little bit, uh, what's the word, uh, ang uh, anxious or not, not content with the life I was living with my, with my corporate life. And I knew that there was something more. I was craving something more. Uh, but I didn't know what that was. And then a few of these like, experiences happened all around the same time. A couple very positive ones and a couple of negative ones ones or like um, painful ones and uh, I can go into it if you like at some point but the short version is it all kind of happened all at once and I realized that life is short and I, what do I want to make the most use of my time on this planet and I knew I wanted to do something more impactful more adventurous more connected with the world And I ended up just buying a, a one-way ticket and traveled abroad. Yeah, because you were working for 10 years. You were working very hard. Yeah. And, and all of your holidays, you were spending it to, to go and volunteer in, in different countries and help. And do you think you, in some way, you burnt yourself out by working that hard? Do you think in some way... If, if you were working less hard or did, had a different view about 
the job you were doing, it it wouldn't end in this way. Or yeah. so, yeah, but some right. some way it's a blessing, of course. But but uh, yeah, does it have something to do with it? Um, thank thank you for saying that. Thank you for asking that too. I number one. I wasn't, I was prioritizing professional growth at the expense of personal growth. Mm. I wasn't even really aware of 10% of what I'm aware of now in terms of how important and what ways you can grow personally. Um, for me, you know, I was living in New York City for, like you said, uh, more than 10 years, about a dozen years. And when I first moved there, it was just before 9-11. And that experience rocked my world. I was supposed to fly that day from one of the airports where um, some of the terrorists had hijacked planes. And I was calling New York my home. And it was, it was a tough experience. And I'm, I come from, a, even though I was born and raised in the U.S., I come from an Egyptian background. So that threw a whole sort of complicated thing into the whole thing. Mm. Um, and I'm just sharing that because... Shortly after, I lost my job in uh, working for one of the top firms. Um, but the company, I didn't lose my job because of 9-11, I don't think. It was mostly because the company got caught up in this, like, this massive corporate scandal with Enron. Anyway, long story short, I found myself unemployed at age 22, 23 for half a year when I was ready to take over the world. Like, can you imagine moving to New York for a top firm? And in a matter of a few months, 9-11 happens, messes up your city, your country, the country you come from, the, the religious background you come from, are now enemy number one. And then you're trying to find it, and then you lose your dream job, and now you're looking for a job. All that happened at once, and I had a few family and personal stuff going on. The moral of the story here is I felt really tremendously vulnerable. And I decided at that moment, I will, I will do whatever it takes never, never to feel this vulnerable again. And so I ended up, for the first time in my life, really working so hard, right? I thought I worked hard in school and stuff, but now I really thought this is like survival mode. This is, I need to take, I need to be able to take care of myself and live in this concrete jungle and survive and let alone flourish, but survive. I was always trying to like, I had a good situation trying to make it better. Now I was, I'm in an awful situation. How do I pay my bills? And I look back now realizing that for me, I feel like that had to happen so that I can tap into the strength that is required to really, you know, when you, I, I believe like we can grow through our struggles. You grow through what you go through. And if, if, you, if life's handed to you on a silver platter and some things in my life have been easy, then, then you're not going to appreciate as much. You're not going to be as grateful. You're not going to know how to get stronger. Um, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into some ultra marathon tough experiences, but why do we take on these painful, hard challenges voluntarily? It's because we want to grow. We want to yeah. challenge ourselves. And we know we have to experience pain to grow. Yeah, and to a certain level, I can I can relate to that. I also had an office job, and and now you know, ready for the last almost ten years, I'm have my own company, my own business. So I can I can imagine something. Of course, not New York, but <laughs> um, it's it's all the same, man. It's all like it's all personal challenges we're going through. Yeah. So then, twenty three years old, Zoop. Jump to ten years later, you come back. You come back for um, from uh, working as a volunteer, and then then what happened? Yeah, so I t I tend to go deep into one story, and then I hop a half a decade. But the 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 moral of the story I brought that up was that I ended up uh, becoming obsessed with being independent and not vulnerable financially. So then I, that's why I prioritize my professional growth and development and security above everything else. And I think in your previous question, what you were getting at is exactly spot on. There's a lack of balance, mm. uh, a lack of exposure into 
what life's about. And I, I'm, I have, I've made many mistakes in my life, but when I look back, I realized I'm a product of all my experiences combined. Um, if I could tap the younger version of myself on the shoulder back then and whisper some insights, I would go back and say, everything's going to be fine. And what do you really want to do? I would, I would give so much advice. Uh, but it is what it is. And I got some benefits from working hard because I was able to save up money, gain some skills. I had some good experiences too, of course. But at some point later on, I realized that's not where my heart was. I was swimming upstream as a human. You know? yeah, you probably took the, 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 the most, one of the most difficult paths to become independent. Because I can imagine there's other places in the world where it wouldn't take that much to become financially independent or just independent from in, in a way of more freedom, less worries. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, you know, that saying, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Mm. Like that's about, that's about New York. Um, but I'm also realizing that. I mean, this is more of a philosophical deep discussion, but to make it, is a really interesting question. And I think that uh, we are conditioned a lot, especially in the US, especially in a capitalistic society, to keep up with the Joneses. So mm. we're not content unless we feel like we're doing better than some other people or a certain metrics. Um, one of the beauties about traveling around the world is realizing that that's bullshit. Like it's, frankly, it's bullshit. I mean, there, it could even be the opposite. I think sometimes we get caught up with this materialistic stuff and then we um, create needs we don't need and then we forget about the needs we actually have uh, as a trade-off. Um, so I think that's a reason why even in the, some rich societies like the U.S., which I'm, I'm proud to be an American, but it has its problems. Mm -hmm. And um, part of it is, uh, I think, a lack of clarity about what's important. Um, so... Yeah, so I, I, was, I was caught up in that. Um, and uh, I eventually took the leap abroad. Um, I did it a couple times. I got, I got sucked in a second time. But what's interesting in terms of your, part of your theme about how we, how we connected was about running. Both times I bought one-way tickets to become a nomad. I planned it where I ran a, a marathon. Uh, and the second time, a double marathon. Uh, the day and, before I left. Uh, yeah, and, and before you go on, why, why running? Were you in your youth? Did you, did you run? Were you a runner? Or did you do other sports? Or did you just choose it because it was like easier? You don't need anything uh, special equipment? My, my, my story is I was actually... A really ex like I loved sports uh, as a child and at the age of like 12 13 14 I was actually above average in a few sports um, but I'm a short I'm a short guy it is what it is and despite that I was actually soccer and tennis I was where I grew up uh, one of the top players for my age then one day I was having a lot of pain and I uh, realized that I needed to go to the hospital and it turned out that I had a bone cyst in my left leg um, that I apparently had my entire life. Long story short, I couldn't play sports for a year. I had to go through a bunch of these small surgeries. And then when I revisited sports again, it just was never the same. But during that year that I couldn't play sports and I thought maybe I could never run again, they told me I could, maybe I could never run again. I shifted into academics because before that I wasn't really excited about that. So I, again, in life, sometimes, you know, you don't get what you want, you get what you need. And that was able to create a future for me because I ended up getting into interested in things I wouldn't have done, put the time into. Mm. Fast forward, go through college, go through, go to move to New York City. New York City, uh, it's possible to get into these sports, but it's not easy. You know, there's a lack of space. It's not everywhere you go. 
Um, so the most common way to stay fit that fits into your schedule is going to the gym. And then I ended up going to the gym here and there. I, I went through waves of like gaining weight. Um, I hate to tell your, your viewers this, but I was a smoker most of my life. Uh, but I did quit a few years ago. So don't smoke. Marathons. <laughs> <laughs> Do not endorse it. But it's, it's just part of my story. And, and uh, running ended up happening because um, one day there was a 5K, a fundraiser. I worked at a cancer hospital called, called Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And we were sponsoring this JP Morgan corporate challenge. And we ran a 5K through Central Park, New York City. And somebody uh, pushed me to go do it. And I was like, for me, that time, 5K was, are you kidding me? I can't do that. You know, do, do I have cigarette breaks along the way? You know? Um, but I did it and I met someone along the way and we, we, we inspired each other and then we, we crossed the finish line. Um, and when I went back to the office, my cubicle had a big printed sign, congratulations, Tarek, blah, blah, blah. And they had a little bit of a celebration for me. And it really made me happy. Like to feel that I did something that was good for me for a good cause, people supported me. It was one of those things where it was a win, 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 win all the way around. Um, and I know it sounds silly. Uh, and uh, like when we talk about some of these athletes that are running so, so far, but everything is relative. Everything is relative. And for me at that moment, that was a big deal. Yeah. And then it became a 10K. And then it became a 21K. And, and then I started loving the people that tend to love running because I found that they were very uh, goal oriented, inspiring, socially conscious. Um, you know, I really strongly believe one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned is that energies are contagious. So surround yourself with the people you want to surround yourself with because you want to aspire to be like certain people that have these values that you may have but you want to become more like so surround yourself with those people and runners for me were a way to do that yeah and that's the, what community is about and and even in the runners community you have these subcultures with uh, the road runners trail runners and but nowadays everything starts to mix for, for actually for good but yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i can definitely relate to that so and, I, and, and just one other really important thing that I think is worth mentioning is that, you know, when I got into the doing these new uh, barriers, like a new limit, um, I started to think, well, if I can do what I think is impossible for me in this category of my life, maybe I can do what I think is impossible in my life in another category. You know, like in some way, the running contributed to to the decisions that you made afterwards. Like in a major way, okay. not just but like in a major way, because limit. It's all about having the mental uh, and emotional confidence and clarity of setting a goal, knowing that you can achieve it even when you think it's impossible and then knowing like if what's beautiful about running and, and many sports, especially the, the individual ones that you're competing with yourself is that we have so much power as individuals. And a lot of it is in here and in here to embrace that and to acknowledge that and go for it. Um, and then when you build some confidence in certain categories, or I'll talk for myself, I built some confidence in that. I mean, to go from a overweight, you know, stressed out smoker guy to running things that some people, most people can't do made me feel like, wow, I couldn't do that before. Now I can do this now. Maybe I can start a social enterprise. Maybe I can, you know, find the goals in my life that are very different 
Um, so it's, it's true. It's, it's, it's very interesting how it's in the mind. Yeah. Cause uh, in, in running and especially marathons and like you mentioned, ultra marathons, only the first 30 K is physical. After that, the talk, uh, you're going to hit the wall and, and probably you do at some point, everybody does, but then it becomes a mental game to yourself and you go through all these emotions uh, during a race or during a long, long run. And it's like a, a mini life, a mini society in your head on itself. Uh, everything that you encounter in life, you will encounter in, in, in this run. And most, uh, some races more than others, um, you, you, you end up the race like a newborn. You have all these experience that you went through and you can tap into this in other experiences and other parts of your life. So do you have some, yeah. uh, some, some races or runs that you did um, that, are, that are very special to you, that, that, um, where, where you had this feeling of, of like, wow, um, I didn't expect it when I was at the start so many hours ago. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a few, but I, I want to comment on what you just said about the physical and then the mental. <clears throat> Maybe you heard this line, but one of my running buddies once told me, <clears throat> running a half marathon is a physical challenge. Running a full marathon is a mental challenge. And running an ultra marathon is a spiritual challenge. <laughs> it's nice. I, I, I like it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because... I, um, you know, and every metric is depending on someone's, you know, physical, uh, basis. But for me, I, I kind of got it because there are a few times in a few races where, um, I tapped into certain limitations and then something else would kick in. Um, and there's a couple where it was, you know, I would almost say spiritual because I don't know where it was coming from, from where my physical basis was my physical um uh core could handle so well i had a okay so i've i've done a, a handful of i've done 25 marathons but a handful of ultras um but again it's all about where you were at that time mm. um the, the day i the experience i met you at is one of my favorite favorite ones mm. we met on the doing the Everest base camp marathon and that uh was so beyond what I thought was possible but something called me to do this and the timing was right I think I was either the last or second to last person to register because I signed up for it less than two months beforehand <laughs> I was in Sri Lanka and I saw that there's something was going on there and I found it I they said it's probably too late made it happen but what was so beautiful about that was it was the highest marathon in the world with altitude and i never done any race with altitude i've only done a few marathons before that um but i was like why not let's just you know there's a famous quote that i love only those who go too far can possibly find out how far you can go <laughs> right and so I was trying to challenge this idea of not taking risks that you're not sure of. Why not take risks that you're not sure of? Because if you're always sure of it, then you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's almost uh, beauty and uh, extra value when you actually do fail because that means, okay, well, at least I know that there's some limits, right? So anyway, I decided to go for it. The camping and the, the bonding, no internet for that. I ended up going for no internet for that month um, and did a few other personal challenges. I think I, I went vegetarian for that month for some reason. I was just trying to challenge the body in different ways. Yeah, and, and for, me, for me as well, the beauty was you, you get to know everyone on a personal yeah. level because it's not six o'clock, it's dark, there's nothing else to do. And you live together for these two weeks building up to there's always this, this healthy tension because the race is somewhere <laughs> coming closer. But, but yeah, it's like uh, when the race is finally there, it's, it's amongst friends. You never have that where you have a personal relationship with 
almost every participant. Um, you're, you're so right. You're so right. I've never had such a bonding sports event in my life. You're so right. Because it was, by the time we ran it, it we were family. We were, I mean, we were spending all day, every day, talking to each other. Like sometimes we pair off in twos, threes, fours. Sometimes we had dinners and lunches. Um, again, I, I did zero internet. Everyone else is like almost zero internet. It was, it, and the scenery, the, the mountains of Nepal are above anything else. Literally. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, so the altitude was this major question, this uncertainty aspect. Like mm -hmm. at least if you ran a marathon, you ran on the marathon, you can say like, hey, I've done it. But if, if you never run an altitude, even if you have, you don't know how you're going to feel. Um, there's a lot of this question mark. So I would just say like that was uh, an epic day, one of the most memorable days of my entire life. Um, the experience was, and then I met people like you, Ken, that have inspired me. Inside, like oh, here, here, here's a really important example, just to tell you the type of people that you meet in this type of world. One of our teammates, we had a we had an amazing crew, uh, both the runners and and the support crew and the Sherpas. Uh, the Sherpas were even more resilient and more inspiring. But one one of the runners, uh, our friend Daisy. She told me that she had just run 12 marathons in 12 months. And I had only run, I think, four marathons at the time. So I thought she was crazy, like bonkers. Um, and I said to her, like, I literally told her, like, you're insane. And she, she said to me, oh, you totally can do it too. Like being so humble, but also just positive right supportive and when uh, i think it was either the day or two before the race or day or two after they convinced me to sign up for a marathon within a month after this one because even though i didn't know where i was going but they're like listen you're gonna get out you're gonna run really fast because the altitude's gonna help you and i signed up for the uh chiang mai marathon Actually, because I was on an on a internet break, they signed up for me. I gave them my phone and they signed up for me. And I ran that marathon a month later. And then I ran another marathon a month later. And another one the next month later. I ended up running not 12, 16 marathons in 16 months. Oh, good. Me. me. Yeah. Like and that's the New York guy, right? That wasn't and the I, physical. That was just the mental change you went through, and 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 the positive view when you came out of the of the out of the mountains. You you realize? I, I think I think that the lesson is like, with the right support, with the right uh, positive energies, and inspiring people. Um, we're limitless. We are limitless. We can do mm. so much. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I learned from that. It's like, thanks to people like Daisy and like you, uh, we, we have so much more power than we believe. And I, I'm, I'm so blessed that, that I, I feel like I'm on this virtuous cycle path, you know, like virtuous cycle, meaning the more you grow, the more that comes your back to you. And the more you give, the more that gives comes back to you. And it, it becomes this beautiful spiral. Yeah. 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 And, and most of these runs that you do are, are for charity as well. And I guess that helps because, um, uh, from motivation, but also as a, as a big thank you to the, the country that you visit and allows you to run. Because I can imagine you get some strange looks from people like, like, for example, in Nepal. Um, when you have to do a 10k hike to school uphill and then only when you arrive in school you start with some physical activity classes <laughs> or you're a porter of the mountains yeah people are they think you're crazy like why is he running hard and it's, it's the last thing to think about because they're living a very physical job so um i yeah. think you can relate to that in in some countries that you run that uh that people are, um, yeah, they, 
they have to be very physical to, to live their life. Um, do you have a few examples of that? I do, I do, I do. Well, there's a few points I want to mention, but the, the most important one is that um, when I end up taking those one-way flights abroad and becoming a backpacker and traveling, marathons for me ended up being a, a healthy way to see the world. So sometimes, you know, if you don't have any anchors, you can feel like a plastic bag in the wind. But mm. what I ended up doing is using it like, okay, I'm going to run a marathon in this country. And I'm like, okay, are there any marathons going on in like anywhere in the region, you know, and where do I want to go next? And, and one of the main reasons was connecting with locals around a beautiful cause, right? So anyone and everyone who's at a marathon, whether you're running or supporting a runner, it's a beautiful moment, mm. right? Most people are pushing themselves to a limit for a good cause, like whether it's their health, often they're fundraising for a social cause, right? So, and then their family members are there like supporting them. And even if it's someone's first marathon, amazing. If it's their, sometimes I've seen people, we, the one we ran together in Belgium, I, there was an old lady next to me running and she was like, I think she had a sign saying 97th marathon. <laughs> I'm like, what? Who are these people? But each and every single one is a big deal. Every single one is a big deal. And even if they've done it many times, they're trying to get a better time, you know, or whatever it is. So it's this idea of becoming better and believing and hope that you could become better and your family members are being inspired and the social causes and the economic ability. Um, so I've made a lot of friends, especially local friends. You know, most people, they think you have to, if you want to meet locals, you're going to meet locals, like not, not necessarily around a healthy cause. So, um, but there is, a, there is one time where I was, let me see, um, which one I want to tell you. Okay. Well, my, one of my favorite experiences is where I am now in Bali. So two years ago, uh, I, uh, three years ago, I learned about this race that was going to happen in Bali called the Bali Hope Ultra. And it was to be the first ultra marathon in Bali running from top to bottom for 84 kilometers. It's also a nice way to, to discover the country. Oh yeah. <laughs> you have oh, time yeah. to look around. <laughs> exactly. And the best part about this was... It was the closest thing to the Everest Marathon, Ken. It was only 13 runners. Ooh. But we're, our goal was to raise 100,000 Australian dollars to put 100 children through school. So it was a fundraising campaign. Um, and for me, I, I'm, I'm now more comfortable speaking and putting myself out there, but I wasn't that way. And even like a fundraising campaign and putting things on blast, every, almost every run I've ever done, I never told anyone beforehand because I didn't want to fail. So this was the first time that I actually said, I'm going to go do this, right? Um, but I, I only did that because I thought it would be good to fundraise. And we ra I raised uh, six, six thousand plus dollars and that's the equivalent of helping six children get education because of the community behind me um, and put myself to this challenge and ran 84 kilometers from top to bottom of Bali. Uh, they tell me, although I was the sixth person to do that, um, ever because it didn't exist, not because I'm, you know, special, first, but the first Egyptian American. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Probably for a long time, <laughs> but, um, but I guess that the point is we bonded among the cause um and this community my friend tom started this and we're helping our friends duncan and margaret with their social causes um we've become this sort of tight-knit community and we're now they're growing and growing and putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars to help hundreds of children um and again like you said i got to see bali through a, a beautiful lens um it but wasn't it wasn't it the time as well that that um just before the start or a couple of days before the start, you were sick? 
Was it yeah. was it that race? Yeah. This is that's the same, that's the same race. So big expectations on you first time in the spotlight, and then you have to go through all these struggles just to reach the start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um to share a little bit more about that, the day before the race, I felt really sick. Uh, the previous few days, but especially the day before, I had to go to the hospital and I got tested um, for what it might be. And my best friend, Mish, is a doctor and he basically advised me strongly not to run. Um, but he knew, he knows me well enough to know that I had to try. And so he, he diagnosed me and tra uh, taught me what to do or told me what to do. And then I, so I was running already behind a level of what I thought was possible um, for a race. But I don't know, going back to that comment about the ultramarathon being a spiritual thing, I think in life when we get tested, it could be, it doesn't even have to be a physical thing. It could be uh, something in your family or at work. But sometimes we get tested where we don't know where the strength can come from. And that was one of the... Uh, few times in my life where I felt like I tapped into a different energy source. <laughs> as weird yeah. as that sounds. As weird yeah, as that sounds. no, I can, I can imagine. But also when you, when you travel all these countries, it's, it's not like a holiday. It's not like you're going on holiday, you have finally take off uh, some time from work and you can relax. Because in, in, in a way, I can imagine you, it's not always relaxing. Because you, each time you come in different situation, you don't always know it's safe. You, you have to meet your basic needs. You have to settle a little bit and then yeah. move on again. And again, it starts again. So this can be very tiring. And um, do you have, did you have the feeling sometimes you have to tap in, in the same strength just to get that through? Were there times that you said, okay, this, it becomes enough. I want to settle somewhere. I want to be close to my family or... Yeah, what, what, was your, what was your motivation? What was your driving factor to keep going? That's a great question, Ken. I, I would say that, like, I, I want to emphasize that I feel really lucky. Like, I feel like I won the birth lottery because, you know, I say this sometimes, but I, I was born into a family that loved me and I was born into a country that had amazing economic opportunity for me, education. So when I talk about my, my personal challenges and professional and physical, I come from a place of like, for the most part, almost all the time I had options, you know? But through the travel, I, I had the opportunity to connect with people that showed me how lucky I am. Because there are times where I felt like a victim making six figures in New York with a suit and tie because people had better lives. And, you know, so I just want to like emphasize the point that like every time you ask me or we talk about challenges, I think it's important to recognize that everything is relative. So um, when I was traveling around the world and yeah, there were times where I set that goal to travel hundred countries. And uh, of course I felt lonely sometimes and lost, like literally lost sometimes, uh, spiritually lost, uh, emotionally lost, but I feel like everything happens for a reason. And I took on that challenge. First of all, out of a base of luxury that I can even enter that. Like the fact that we have the luxuries to do what we're doing, we should be grateful for. But traveling the world, I, I, I think that I did it because deep down I have this intuition that this is what I need to do. I, I don't think that it's about traveling the world for the sake of traveling the world. I think we explore the world because we want to explore within. Um, I'm convinced of that. So whether for someone who's never left their country or someone who's been to every country in the world, it's all relative. It's like, where are you on your personal journey? And one country may more than enough and 180 countries or 95, 195 countries might not be enough if you're not actually tapping into why, what's your why? 
What's your purpose? What do you want or, out of life? Yeah, or if you're drawing lessons out of it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and did you, when along your, your travel, um, so now it comes a little bit to like when you started to get the ID for, for the company you, you have now, um, did you start recognizing certain patterns or were you looking for certain things in, in countries like, okay, how is this situation here? And, and were there similarities that, that, um, that contributed to your ID or, or um, yeah? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, th I think one of the beauties about travel is, again, getting, uh, like getting perspective. And when I realized that there's this uh, fast-growing movement called the nomad movement, um, no, people that are working location independently around the world, and they start to gravitate in certain locations like Chiang Mai and Bali and Lisbon and uh, Medellin. Um, when I was backpacking, I was having lots of these brief conversations, but I really wanted to have more depth and more community, more connection. Um, so that uh, idea of a movement was really appealing to me. And I wanted to create something. I really wanted to create, or at a minimum, join something that was entrepreneurial, something that was impactful. Um, and I would often ask people, so, hey, can I ask you, like, how can you how can we connect with locals here and how could you get back? How can we get back locally in this area? And so many people give me the same answer. Oh my God, a great question. I want to too, but I don't know how. And I saw, I saw the potential of the growth. And this is before coronavirus of like remote working and, and the idea of people living abroad as nomads and expats uh, while working. And when I realized that there didn't seem to be an initiative organization that are helping this, this, uh, this movement to give back, that's what I realized I wanted to do. And that's the essence of creating, uh, here's my plug, Nomads Giving Back. <laughs> and really the idea is to really like inform, inspire, and empower really all of us to give back to the communities that we're calling home away from home, right? And to help solve the problem, I want to meet with locals, I want to connect with locals, I want to give back locally, but I don't know how. So that's what we've been after, my, my team and I, and we're trying to help serve as a bridge in these hotspots. Um, so we've been trying all sorts of things, but... Um, do you have, do you have uh, some practical examples, things that you're working on now or, or in the past to to give a little bit of an idea, like how, how it goes into work and what, yeah. what it is. So if we want to serve as a bridge between foreigners and locals, one thing we have to do obviously is build relationships and bring them together. So we've started this about a year and a half ago. And throughout that time, we've had about maybe 65 events. Every event can be different. Um, and we've been focusing so far primarily uh, in Bali and Colombia, Medellin. But we've had events in like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 countries. But some events are about being advocates for the causes, right? So if you're in an area and you want to connect with locals and socially conscious other people um, and you want to give back, you don't know how, come to this event and we'd have a panel discussion or a mastermind event or a networking event, bringing together these people um, and giving them literally a platform so that they can speak. And then we, we, got, we got into having uh, trips. So we, had, uh, we piloted about a handful of trips, sometimes for a day or overnight, that were not the typical TripAdvisor ones, but rather uh, socially conscious, going to communities that don't often get tourists or definitely need more and have more of a connection. And we try to create impact-related activities. So, for example, one in Bali, we, we went to a village for a weekend and bought books, books for the children 
And they taught us Bahasa. We taught them English. We were by a lake. Um, we ended up funding a little reforestation project where we, we funded some tree plantations and we planted it with the locals and then saw it there and then uh, spent time with the chief and the chief's family at their home. So trying to create those connections and that sense of meeting. Uh, one, of the, one of our friends on that trip said it was the best trip of the entire life because it probably was not typical for him. You know, it was new to actually be in a place that's very touristy and connect locally and feel like maybe you're making a little bit of an imprint that's positive. Um, and then we're also looking to get into more skill sharing, like whether it's language skill sharing or digital skill sharing, because this, we all have language skills and digital skills, which is what kind of makes a big difference in the economic aspect of things. And so I think if we want to help, um, offer more value and connect, those are two ways to do that. Yeah. And, and it's now also scientifically proven, but, uh, in the Eastern, uh, spirituality and, and, uh, Buddhism, they knew it for a long time that giving and, and making other people happy is a major contributor to happiness. So I can, I can imagine that, uh, it was one of the most beautiful trips of, uh, people's life as well. Um, yeah. Ken, you're, you're spot on. I mean, that's a big part of why, why Nomads Moving Back exists is this whole idea of gratitude as a life hack, right? Like if you're grateful, you can, you're, you can become happier. And giving is an extension of gratitude. Right? Mm-hmm. That's an expression of being grateful. Um, and I feel like a lot of us, uh, and I speak for myself, we feel sometimes powerless with these big problems in the world. What, what difference can I make? But if we can make it a little bit easier for each other to make a difference, um, you know, at least from one-on-one connections, then it can be this virtuous cycle of growth. And that's where the, the spiral comes in for no one's giving back. It starts wow. from the heart from within. And then if you inspire yourself, you can inspire others. And then that would in turn inspire you. And then you inspire more. And it's this, beautiful cycle yeah. oh, cool. and I'll, I'll definitely put some links and everything in, in the in the notes but but i believe that also if you're not a nomad you can also contribute and you can you can also help no oh yeah absolutely absolutely i i'm a big believer that i, I we use the we use the word nomads to for the 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 original niche market but uh, one of my friends once told me that i believe a nomad is someone who believes the entire world is their home. The entire world is their home. So if you think about it, we're all nomads. And almost all of us aren't from where we are, are living at some point. If you go back far enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. But uh, they can also help your company, I think. No, they can do donate. We can do donations or things. So. So we have, we have like, uh, the best way to start connecting with us is through checking out our, our website and our Facebook groups. We have a Facebook group. Um, we have a newsletter and we're a large part of what we're focusing on now is advocacy, raising awareness of all these amazing change makers and local causes around the world. And I think that's important to recognize that like, we're not, no, no one, no organization can do so much. It's about like collaborating. And so if, if, if you want us to raise awareness of your social cause, someone, a place that you're volunteering for, anything, we're just trying to help mobilize the collective power. Okay, okay. I've, I've been on the website uh, and, and you got a big team. <laughs> you got a big team working for you, everybody's smiling, everybody's oh, thing to, to give. Phenomenal. Like, my, I feel like I feel like I created my dream job because these amazing people want to support the mission um, and they're, they're, they're leading the way. Yeah. And what, what does your job look like? Are you more like a manager now um, with this big team or are you still in the fields? Um, what, <laughs> what, is, what is most of your job consist? <laughs> Every day looks a little different. Um, I'm realizing that I, I'm also growing on the job. Like I, I have like some, some people might, I have this corporate background that uh, in one world is, could be impressive to some people, 
But what I'm realizing is that uh, I was never an entrepreneur or a social entrepreneur. And I am learning. I'm learning every day, um, especially as the team grows. I mean, a year and a half ago, I was in a coffee shop by myself and then with a few people. And then before I know it, we now have more than 60 people around the world. Uh, 30 are, are part of the team, uh, primarily volunteers, and another 30 are ambassadors. And really, it's just that I think that the mission is resonating. And we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And so I think that's what we're really trying to create. Um, for, for me, to your question, I'm just trying to help figure out the strategy, especially in these weird times. I mean, we, this, this is being recorded during the pandemic mm-hmm. for someone who might look back at this in like five years. <laughs> and there's not much nomading going around. And there's not much giving back going around. A lot of our partners and travel and everything is completely different. But I think this is temporary. We all know this is temporary. So it's like trying, as, as the leader, I'm trying to figure out what decisions to make for next month versus next year, um, trying to anticipate trends, trying to create mutually beneficial relationships. It's not easy to create sustainability in an impact organization. Um, but that's exactly why I'm doing this. So the challenges can be challenging, but that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing. And so I welcome them. Oh, great, great, great. So, um, to come to come back a little bit um, about about um, the hiking and and traveling and so you come from this uh, corporate life uh, like sedentary life nine, uh, probably not nine to five but nine to nine or nine to eleven hours and um, sitting most of the time. What changes did you feel in your body when you started sleeping in a tent? Um, Hiking a lot, walking a lot, running much more. Um, did you feel? Did you feel any changes, or or did you? Did your body was was saying like, uh, "What are you doing to me?" Or yeah. is there anything um, you can say about that? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, I I grew up when I was young in uh, a small town in Pennsylvania called Pottsville. Uh, home of Yingling Beer. I'm very, we're very proud of that. It's America's oldest brewery. But it's a very small town, and it's the biggest town in the area. So I grew up with nature. I used to play in the yard, go into the forest, like daily. Do they also not have a big Amish culture in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Less, less maybe an hour away or so oh, yeah. is Lancaster. And so you're right. And so there's some real, you know, nature beautiful nature, like skiing. and, and uh, So I bring this up because I then went to uh, university in a city, D.C., and then lived in New York City for a long time. And I lost touch with nature. Um, and I feel like that's a big part of the struggles that I faced uh, getting lost in the corporate world was that I was out of touch with nature. And then when I started traveling, I had the luxury of seeing some of the most beautiful, beautiful places in the entire world. You and I got to see the Himalayas together. But there's other places from Africa to South America to Asia to Bali where I am now. And there's, you can't explain it. You can't explain it. Like there's this feeling that you get. And when you spend periods of time like the, the month that we were hiking together in Nepal, um, something happens to your, your psyche, your, your energy level. Um, and I loved it. It was scary. It was hard getting rid of some of these addictions of like looking at the phone and the internet and all this. Um, but being in nature and dis- unplugging was so good for the body and the soul um, I can't tell you. And then connecting with the locals in those areas that are, that's, that's their, that's their world. Right. So they don't even know what it's like to be in Manhattan in a skyscraper and that they don't even know. So it's so interesting how we perceive time and anxiety and urgency. And, um, 
So anyway, I just wanted to bring up that I rediscovered nature. It, I'm so thankful for that. And I made it a priority for my goals and my life to, to make sure that it's a part of my life, to not, to not lose sight of that. And I'll be honest with you, um, I don't know if I'm going back to any city life. I, I haven't since I left five years ago. Um, I have not really loved living in cities, even though I was the biggest city boy. I took pride in it. I was, New York City is the best. As far as cities go, I still think it's amazing. But in terms of what I crave in life, I crave more a sense of community and connection and nature. Um, and running, trail running especially, brought me to that. Like, I run a few other ultra marathons and like, I ran in Turkey around a lake, Lake Iznik. Um, I ran in Madagascar. I think it was a 65K through the most exotic nature that I've ever seen that I think maybe even exists. Like, like what is that tree? Does, what is that rock? What is that? Like, and then the people that you would run by looking at you that may have never seen a foreigner before. Like, so even humans can be part of nature that are exotic. We all call it nature. Yeah. So I running for me, especially in the trails, I ran in Colombia, um, in the mountains. And it just reminds you of being human on this planet. And it's so inspiring. And it kind of makes these other problems we have in the world, uh, real relative to realize like, Oh, that's probably doesn't exist. There's something bigger out there. And uh, I eventually found my spirituality a bit too. And that sort of also helped connecting with nature as well um, in that process. Cool, cool. Thank you. It's a nice way to wrap up as well. Um, first of all, thank you for your time. But mostly um, I want to leave people with, with like a useful tip. So and it can be something physical. It can be something mental. It can be something social. Well, it, it should be something practical that you walk out the door or you practice at home, something easy, easy access, easy to implement. And it might put a smile on your face if you visit it regularly or, or make it into a practice. Well, what is your message? What would you give people? So great question. I love it. I'm going to go back and watch watch uh, all your favorite lessons on this. Um, I was going to say exactly what you ended with, which was what would put a smile on your face. And this might seem obvious, but it's the smile. It's literally to when you see, like I, I live in this little village, like not village, but the, the area feels like a village. Um, and every time I, I drive out on my scooter, I'm like, Puggy, which means morning. And I smile at the old lady carrying the blessings or the little girl on her playing with the, the, the puppy. And I just say, Puggy, and I smile. And they smile. And it just, it's just like one of those, again, like you give energy, they give energy back. Um, you know, I also, I do a morning routine where I, I, uh, I meditate in the morning before looking online. Most of the time I try and then I, I do a, a audio book for a while about something that helps me grow, um, like usually more in the personal development or psychological levels, mental health. Um, and, and I do a gratitude exercise where I, I just spend a few minutes saying what I'm grateful, grateful for for the previous day and maybe for the day I'm about to have. Um, so those are, those are habits that I try to do every single day. Um, and I feel like they've helped me that I, I wish I had done earlier. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm still learning. So I can't wait to learn what other tips your guests say. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, I like to smile and, and <laughs> you're a very, uh, smiley guy as well, but, uh, most, most of the time when I see you, <laughs> But uh, yeah, there's, there's even research that shows when, when, you, have, um, when you go through pain or, or I think the research was while running, um, that when you smile, even when it's a forced smile, the pain goes away or it's easier to bear. 
so to say it. So I, I'm, very, I'm very much in favor of, uh, of this tip, of this smiling uh, that you... It's so interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of science that the body and the mind are separate. Yeah, the people know for such a long time and now science is catching up and, and uh, yeah, so... All right, good, I, good, good. I feel like I talked to you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I know you have a diff, uh, another interview as well and... I don't want to keep you uh, for too long, but yeah, we can. We can, there's always a, an option to repeat it in the future. So yeah. I want to thank you a lot for your time. I know you're very busy. It was great to talk to you again, and hopefully we can meet up in person again soon, soon or later, yeah. one day. I have to get back in the marathon shape because every time I see you, there's somehow there's a marathon involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the last time. Not the last time in Amsterdam. It was a different marathon. Oh, yes. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that one. <laughs> um, yeah, that was not quite a marathon. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, Ken, thank you so much. I'm a, I'm a big believer in everything that you're doing, um, especially your, your take on things. I think being more of a focus on natural fitness and, and, and being more about innovative and about the health and the whole mind, body, and soul together, like, I love it. I love it. And um, I look forward to seeing what's next for you and uh, in your future shows and your performances and uh, everything else. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for the talk. Tarek, enjoy the rest of your day. And yeah, uh, good luck with your business and all the future runs you're planning. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Give my best to the family. Talk to you soon. Right. Bye. Bye.